0: Welcome to Real Talk with PJ, where we learn more about and engage with the man, visionary, and lead pastor of Bethel Covenant Assembly of God. We look at real-life issues facing our society and culture today through the Word. Each session, we will touch on topics such as relationships, marriage, business, finances, and more. Listen to this week's episode as Pastor John covers the topic of influence in leadership, mentorship, and
1: relationships. I made a decision in my mind that I'm going to make God look great. And I'm not going to allow any excuse to stop me from getting that. I think that should be the mindset of every believer. In your work, in the way you do your work, in the way you go to school, in the way you lead your life, in the way you work with your family. Just making sure that when people see you, they can give glory to God. And I think that's the greatest thing we can do to influence others. People really don't want to identify with you based on what you say. People identify with you based on what they see in your life. Mm -hmm. And when they see you're doing well, then they want to gravitate towards you because people want to follow people they choose or they want to be like. And I think to me that's influence. If I make God look great, it's easy for me to tell you that God is a great God. Why not join in and serve the Lord with me? Uh, And and there are testimonies that, that show that. I don't need to tell you everything from the Bible. I, I can show you in my life that God is a good God. People can tell you, oh, you know, in the Bible, the Bible says, thank you. They may not have the time to know all the references, but if they see the goodness of God in your life, it's easy to communicate the gospel and say Jesus is alive because I have a testimony and a proof.
0: So growing up, who was that, or I'm sure you have had many over the years, but who was the biggest influence and how you want to influence other people growing
1: up my mom you know god blessed me with a very powerful mom and at least i know i didn't spend so much time with my dad before he passed but the blueprint of our life I, I, my mom would always tell me you're like your dad you know go get her you know you you always strive to make Uh, impact, you like to help people and do all those wonderful things. But my mom never gave up. And my mom would always tell you that you, you are not in the best school does not mean you cannot be better than the people that went to the best schools. So there's no excuse not to be excellent. And so she is one person that will push, you know, me to be the best. You know, don't stay there. Don't stay on the ground. Do your best. Read and read again. You know, preach. I preach your best message. Thank God, yes, you preached the great message last Sunday, but forget about last Sunday. Your best message is the message you've not preached. So she keeps pushing. And she's one person that I discovered that I, I saw the power of a good parent or a good mentor. That, you know, some people feel like the people that must inspire you must have been there for them to inspire you. My mom is not a period honest, but All the advice of my mom helped me to be who I am today. So I discovered that some people, God, have just gifted them with the grace to motivate and inspire, just like coaches. Coaches may not have played the game, but they know the right things to say to a player to bring out the best inside of them. And that's one wonderful person that God has blessed me with. And I'll say this. Before I take further decisions after checking on my wife, he, I, at least I look at my mom's eyes, and she's able to tell me, "Okay, here, um, this is what this is going to look like." And God has really blessed uh, me with that great mentor, and I'm grateful for that.
0: So, it's kind of switching gears, knowing that you are a business owner and a very, God, by God's grace, successful business owner. A be bit to God. Um, How or what would you suggest to young people who are looking to start a business and are looking for mentors? What should a young person or any person who's looking to start a business, what should they look for in a mentor? And especially with, you know, business is all about network. And you've said something before. You've said that your net worth and your network are directly related and correlated. So what advice would you give to somebody who is looking for mentors, whether it's in career or in business, anything like that?
1: Okay. First, you can have many mentors you don't you don't need to zero yourself or narrow yourself to one person because every man's life is a conglomeration of the people they've met in relation to the places they've been so i will say that again every man's life is a product of the people they have met and the places they have been so you could be in a wonderful place. If you didn't get anything from it, 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 it has no value. So if you're looking for a, a good mentor, or you're trying to start a business, the first thing I'll say is look for a place where you can serve and throw your business idea. Just keep it somewhere and don't look at it. Any person or any place you cannot serve effectively, managing that place like your own when you have your own, you will never be successful. Uh, and my my keyword says never. And I know some say, "Oh, that's a harsh word. Yes. In fact, the scripture says, "If you cannot take care of another man's property or thing, who will who will give you your own?" God has to pass His people through management uh, processes before He can entrust tangible things in our hands whether for ministry whether for business you must learn the process of serving because there are some mistakes if you make without serving you will never be able to recover so the plan of God and, and I'm looking at scripture now and if you ask me it also occurs in the physical sometimes it's best to make those mistakes under someone's watch where someone else would take the liability. And you can learn all the tricks of the trade before you start yours. And so Jesus did not even come for his own business. He said, I'm coming for my father's business. My father works and I work too. So first is to serve like a crazy man. I would say for me in ministry, people look at, oh, you know, Pastor John, I one of the things I thank God for is that God did not let me know that I was going to go into ministry when I started serving my pastor. I feel that's the best thing that ever happened to me because I served with everything. In fact, I served with what I didn't have because then God prepared me and I gave everything. I, I saw what worked. I saw what didn't work. So when he called me, he had already prepared me. So you must learn to serve I know you're looking for the mentor. It's in the process of service that you're going to see who really wants to invest in you. If not, you're going to find a Laban that will switch your wages 10 times and immediately you get better, the children will start complaining. So not every person is meant to be your mentor, even though they helped you. Because some people are Labans. And not every Pharaoh is evil. That's true. Just like you see Joseph. So when you serve, the next thing is have excellent work ethic. And when you have been proven, the Bible says, until the word of God tried Joseph, then he was not released. You will, you will know. You will know when it's time to go because you're more than ready. In fact, I would always say when you have worked, God puts the people that will mentor you, in your life, you would know. You would Everything around you would tell you it's now time to launch out. And those people that God have put in your life, you don't even need to tell them, please be my mentor. They'll be excited about mentoring you. Mm-hmm. So don't go begging for mentors. The true mentors are people that God sent to you.
0: That's good. So I have a question for you. You know, you wear so many hats, and honestly, a lot of people maybe underestimate the schedule that you have. Yes. But kind of give our audience a little bit of insight as far as the importance of having a strong work ethic. That all the things that you do, like you say, you're not a career pastor, you know, by God's grace. You own your own business, and you're a full-time pastor. What is the importance of having a strong work ethic when you balance so many hats?
1: Jesus In John 4.34, he said, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. If you don't have strong work ethic, God will not trust the lives of people in your hands. In fact, if you're lazy, you will destroy more than you build. And anything that would not bring excellence will not glorify God. So if God sees you to be a person who will not show up, who's not passionate, who's not excellent at doing what he's committed into your hands. God will not entrust more because you're going to make him look bad. So for me, and I'm not trying to use myself as a template, but I'm just saying that when I look at my life every day, my mind is always working. and I I feel that one day my wife said, I wish the church can see that their pastor does not sleep. I basically sleep maybe 1 a.m. in the morning and I wake up 5 a.m. in the morning and I'm already on thinking of five different things and by 6 a.m. all the text messages are going. I get to clinic, I do my surgeries, I'm rushing down ready to... So being, being an excellent and a hard worker would help you to be able to accomplish many things within a short time. And if you are not capable of managing a tough schedule, it is almost impossible for you to do things that are landmark in nature. And so when I look at my life, I discovered that there are many places that God has built my work muscles, my leadership muscle through different trainings. But one of the most difficult things I ever did was my residency training. My residency training, I feel it's like almost the hardest thing I've done in my life. It made dental school look like you know, holiday.
0: Why, why is that? I'm curious.
1: Because they placed a demand on every resident. It's a surgical residency. Um, you have to be top ten in your class, you know. And I had all the church stuff. I was the choir director. I was assistant. I still had to do all the things I needed to do. And it, it didn't face it didn't them. It was almost like a military, military boot camp. But I discovered that I learned leadership there. I learned ability to complete tasks on time because everything is timed. You're supposed to submit things on time, get the work done on time, and you, you must come, up, come out with an excellent result. In fact, they'll tell you if you go to an exam, you're going to come out. When you come out from the exam hall, you'll know whether you passed or not. If you preach a good message, you don't need anybody to tell you if you preached a good message. When you're coming down, you would know. So you are also taught how to self-evaluate. And what a good work ethic would do is that consistently you can self-evaluate yourself real time. And if you can get that real-time feedback, you can improve yourself as you go. T.J. said something. He said, the more you do something, the better you get at it. And so if you put more effort and you keep doing it and never relent, you're going to be great. You don't even need to pray. If you're hardworking and you are excellent at what you do, prayers is the cherry on, on top. What most people do is they pray more and they hope, they pray more and they work less, hoping that miracles will happen. God will just give you the grace to go by, but God is not going to entrust great things into your hands um, to be a great leader. So any person that's going to be a great leader, excellent work ethic, diligence to making things happen, your ability to multitask and to handle many things at one time is the key to greatness.
0: So then I would ask you, how are you able to cope with the pressure and the stress? Because not only are you just doing these things, but there's also a lot of expectation that is placed on top of you. So how are you able to manage the stress and the pressure from people, from society as a whole that looks at you as, well, he's a pastor, he's a surgeon, he's a parent, he's a life partner, all these things. How do you cope with the stress that comes with all the hats that you wear?
1: One is a lot of prayers. You know, I pray like a madman, and I believe that, Prayers is one of the ways I can cast my cares to the Lord and trust him to direct me even when I can't see things for myself. That's number one. Number two is planning. If you don't plan well, you're going to fail well. You need to plan well. So my plans for the end of the year, for 2021, 2022, I'm already. And when God drops the image in your mind, you need to write it down. My mom would always say that a short pen is better than a long memory. So in my phone, I have 1,500 notes. I'm driving, and idea drops. There's a place for brilliant ideas, unsure ideas, proven ideas. I mean, as it drops, God could give me a topic in my in the middle of my sleep. So your ability to plan and really keep records is key. Number three, understanding the value of people in your life. I can't say this enough. Having the right people in your life, you need to be able to understand that there are some people that are the gift of God to you. Your ability to recognize the gift will help you go far. And so those people that God have put in your life helps you take the work. So God, they give me the vision, but there are people that will run with that vision. And so I don't need to run everything. I just need to have the right people. So part of the process is recognizing the people that are valuable for my net worth. Because my net worth is directly proportional to my net worth. And so if you don't understand the value in people, some people, one person in your life can bring $100,000 to you. One person. Or you could work so hard and struggle for 10 years to make $100,000. So if you can recognize that one person that can bring you that, you already made $100,000. If you recognize 10 people that can bring you $100,000, you're a millionaire. So that's the key. So number one, a lot of prayers, because prayers will give you spiritual accuracy. You can hear from God. And when you pray, maybe listen to God more than you speak. Then he can tell you this is where to go walk in it. So I don't need to debate, this is what I want to do. I just listen to him. Number two, plan very well. Because if he gives you the vision, you need to be a planner. Some of them involves education. Some of them involves research. And I always say education changes a mediocre to an expert. So you can't take that out. Going for courses, learning, putting yourself through instruction, evaluating yourself. Then three, recognizing the people that God has given to you. I'm telling you, like the land that we have today, and we give God praise. I didn't find it. It's Pastor Bina that found it. I give God praise. People go, oh, how did you have the vision for the-? I, I didn't, I just saw the man. And where God gave me the man and I recognized he's a good man. Inside of him was the land. And so what people don't understand, it's inside of every gift of God that God has given to you, It's where God wants to take you to. Remember the story of the woman at the well. Jesus was asking the lady water, for water. And the woman was trying to argue, with Jesus, you know, uh, you should be, you don't, you that came here, the Jews don't identify with the Samaritans. You didn't come here to, Jesus said, if you know the gift of God and the person that is telling you, give me some water, you will be the one asking for water. Sometimes this will, this will blow your mind. Sometimes the people that God has sent you to help, that looks like someone that you're going to help, actually, God sent them to you to help you. But it comes in a disguiseful way, as if you're the one giving the help. But actually, they are your helpers. But it takes the ability and the gifting to recognize that this is a gift from God. That woman at the well opened the door of Samaria to Jesus.
0: It's true. That's true. So I would ask you then, how do you recognize the God-given people in your life? But before PJ answers that question, we're going to take a quick break. Be sure to like, comment and share this feed to your social media. And if you have any questions for PJ, be sure to drop them in the comment section down below. We'll be right back. Thank you so much for tuning in to tonight's broadcast. We're here with PJ talking all about influence. And before we went to commercial break, we left PJ with a question. PJ, how do people recognize God-given people?
1: Relationship. Relationship. When you deal with people, you would know by the way they inspire you or they expire you. You will know Um, when when you see that they are committed to your work, your welfare, even without you necessarily um, having to give them anything or to do for them anything, that is God's gift to you. So when you recognize that God brought them to you, they love you, they identify with you, They make the sacrifices for you. And you know definitely they're not doing it because they want to get something from you But they're willing to share and go the extra mile with you. They are God's gift to you. For those that come as, you know, um, maybe not necessarily having something to give to you, you will see how they're willing to serve alongside you With your vision. That when you say things, They are willing to go. And how much they appreciate. God's grace on your life. Because there are some people. They don't appreciate the grace of God over your life. And anybody that does not appreciate the gift. And the grace of God upon your life. It's not a gift from God to you. Because they will destroy you. And an example is Judas Iscariot. Judas excellent, had all the ability. So you can't just choose based on ability. You have to look at the heart. The Bible says that the, 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 there's, there's a in man, the inspiration of the Almighty, giveth him understanding. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. You can see a man's heart by the words that he says, by the way they support you, by the way they stand for you, even when you are not there. So those are the ways you can see that. And if they can go the extra mile without necessarily you giving them anything, they are God's gift to you. And your spirit will tell you, the Holy Spirit is there to guide you. If you feel at unease about a person, it's not a gift from God to you.
0: So how were you able to recognize that your wife was a God-given person for you? <laughs> now switching gears into relationships, just a little love bit. Love that,
1: love that. How,
0: was, how were you able to recognize that Pastor Chidi was your God-given person?
1: Well, that's a very beautiful question, by the way. Um, I, I got to know Pastor Chidi through a mutual friend. And uh, I'll tell you the prayer that I prayed before then. Um, one of those days I was believing God. I said, Lord, where's my spouse? You know, And I said something. I asked God. I was in Dallas at the time. I said, Lord, even if my wife is in New York, Lord, find a way to connect me. Then I was reading the scriptures. Then all of a sudden, the Lord opened my eyes and told me, he said, John, some of the people in the scriptures that are blessed with a spouse, I bless them with a spouse through their most trusted gift or friend. So I said, oh, really? So the Lord said, how did you get here? I said, well, I remember the good friend of mine that, you know, fired for me to get to the United States. So, I called him up, I said, hey, um, I'm looking for your wife, not a girlfriend, I'm looking for your wife. And he said, okay, don't worry, give me some time. And a month later, he called me on a Saturday morning. He said, hey, I found somebody. So, well, I found two people. <laughs> I said, okay. By the time he gave me the profile of the person, he said, but there is this other one um, that I don't, I, we don't really talk to but anyways, let me go back then. The spirit of God said, "Hey, tell him to tell you about the other one." Wow! And he said uh, the other one. Oh, Told me about Pastor Chidi, and I said, "Okay, now you know where my destiny is, where I'm going. One day, the Lord's going to lead me in ministry, and I need someone who understands that. Who do you think will make a good pastor's wife?" He said the second one. I said, okay, don't tell me about the first one anymore. So I'll say that it's by the spirit that I got to know my wife. And the Bible says, and I follow scripture. So my life is purely scripture. The Bible says that Isaac was meditating in the fields. And immediately he saw Rebekah. He brought Rebekah into his mother's house. And he was comforted. So that he was grieving. So what am I saying? My wife has a strength and suits something in my life that has been missing and hurting. And immediately I saw her. I didn't need anybody to tell me. This is my wife. In fact, my wife would always say that within three minutes, I downloaded what my future was going to be and where we're going. And it is true. Because I already saw it from the, from the spirit. I could tell, my, my spirit could agree that this is my wife. So when I went to New York, met her, it was case closed. I was just waiting for her to say yes.
0: <laughs> so not only are you influ- are, are influencing others, but you're also being influenced. How has your wife been an influence on you? How has she maybe changed your perspective on things or changed the way you see things or see life in general?
1: Um, B.C. is a very humble person. Um, what you see in church or publicly is who she is at home. There's you no... Know, I almost feel like my wife is like a Natania, A woman in whom there's no guy, really. I mean, I've not heard my wife talk bad about anybody. I've not heard my wife tell tell me not to help somebody. You want to give somebody money, is not going to say no. Um, so, in fact... I, I, res- I res I respect my wife I'm telling you the truth she she's someone I would say my wife is a Christian forget the pastor now she is a Christian and she inspires me in so many ways number one um, to love people honestly number two to be humble um, before I met PC, I was the very arrogant yeah I mean I
0: it's real talk are you being real
1: I, yeah I was. <laughs> But but one of the things she told me when we first got married and knew that the Lord was going to come, said, you know what, can we just leave the doctor title away from from uh, our lives and just love people and don't really care because you don't know who people are. And if we can love people sincerely and genuinely, we can bring out the best inside of them. We can influence them better. And I'll tell you that worked. Number three, she she pushes me in... In a, in, a non, in a non-conventional way. I mean, she knows where God is taking me to. And she can tell me, I think you're here. You need to be here. Respectfully, without making me look bad. If I come down from the pulpit, I ask her, okay, so how did it go? I can tell from her body language if um, you need to crank the fire on or, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so she's really a helper. She's a motivator. She's a, she's a kind person. She's very thoughtful. And Chidi has made me to think more about people. In fact, I'll give you this final one. When it's there was a day she asked me how how much do you pay your staff. So I told her. I mean, I I pay my staff decently, and she was like, Do you give them bonuses? I was like, No. I mean, they work it. I mean, you end your hours. She was like, No. I really think you need to give them extra money. Just help them it would really ease the burden. And I like look like what I was like I I I don't want to listen to this. But the Lord told me, listen to your wife. Just like God told Abraham, listen to your wife. And so I got to work and and I listened to what she told me. And I not I wouldn't lie to you. That singular advice, even in the way I manage my staff, has reduced my turnover. So people have been working for me. Before then, I lose staff members like one year, the next day, they're gone. But since I started listening to her counsel, I've been able to maintain my staff now consistent for about three or four years. So she's just that embodiment of wisdom and grace in a quiet way, and which is something I've always wanted in my life. I know I'm the outgoing person, but I always wanted someone in my life that is not so much out there, but has the strength of character and grace.
0: So I know because you know so many people, and I'm sure there's so many people who have so many voices, how are you able to silence all the voices except God's?
1: Oh, whatever any person says to me doesn't mean anything until I get a clarification from God. You know, I would respect it, and I wouldn't say no. So I think sometimes when people give you an advice, some people just shut it down right there. No, no, no. It, it, It may not be wrong but it may just be a template for God to tell you what is proper. Uh, And and again, when people are around me, I listen to them because part of maintaining a relationship is giving people that audience and making them feel that they are valuable and important. When I go to the place of prayer, I listen to what God tells me. And once I am double sure, because over time, I know how God speaks to me. I just I go back and tell the person, hey, this is what the Lord is saying, but I stick with God. So when I go to the presence of God, like you're saying, how do I quiet every voice? I don't tell God what people even said or what I want to do. I present the case to God and I wait for his judgment. And he tells me, this is the way to go. And I follow it. So with that obedience, I see the results. It motivates me to keep going and keep going and get to where God wants me to be
0: so when it comes to planning say you're planning um because everything takes a plan whether it's you know starting ministry or starting a business how do you suggest for a person to go about that planning should they start with writing it down should they start by going through classes or going to school what is that first or the first initial steps to starting a brand new venture
1: number one you must know what you want to venture into knowledge it's very important. If you don't have a good knowledge of whatever you're doing, even if it's ministry, it's cooking, you need knowledge because knowledge is power. Knowledge is power. Um, that's number one. Of course, God's going to give you a vision and you write it down. Then look for people that are valuable in your life and ask for feedback. You know, and they don't need to be, for example, if, if I want to open a restaurant. The people I should ask may not necessarily be chefs and owners of restaurant. You need to ask people that are end users, people that are going to utilize the services that you're going to provide. and say, hey, what what do you like? What kind of food do you like? What is missing? Because as you venture into whatever you want to do, you want to be a solution provider. You don't just want to be a number amongst the many. So, Everybody says home health is what is selling, and you go open a home health. That everybody's doing home health doesn't mean you should do home health. True. You know what I mean? You need to find out where, what is the need. If you meet a need, you'll be happy. So the key in business, the key in venture is meeting a need and branding it to fulfill that need. There are many churches in San Antonio. Bethel is not trying to be like every other church. Bethel has its flavor. And if you come to Bethel, you go and discover that Bethel is some crazy house. That we both love God passionately and we do things differently to meet the people that want the flavor of Bethel. And we will not try to be someone else. So, as God gives you the vision, write it down. Look for people that really care about what you want to offer. And always strive to meet a need. As you meet the need, more people come to meet their needs and you expand as the process continues. So you, you don't need to have all the vision and the plans, you know, grand plan from the beginning. as okay. I'm going to take care of 10 million people. I, sometimes even as a pastor, I don't know the 10 million members. I'm going, no, no, no. That, I just take it one at a time, meet one need, pray for one person, love them, do the best that I can do per time and wait for God to open the next door. He said, I've set before you an open door that no man can shut. So if I keep serving, I look for the next door. You don't need to have all the plan. You just need to take the first step with God.
0: So question, what about somebody who has gone about trying to open a restaurant or start a business or whatever the venture may be and maybe hasn't worked out or maybe they failed a few times? At what point should somebody say, maybe this is God or maybe this isn't God and decide whether or not they should proceed from there?
1: Okay. Failure is not final. Okay. Failure is not final. Um, Of course, we know there are many stories of Abraham Lincoln, all the great people. The first thing is you need to know what God has called you to. If God did not call you, I was speaking to Pastor Bina yesterday, I said, there are some people that God has not called to serve with you. No matter how great their capacity is, they can't succeed. It's almost like planting, there's there's something called cassava in Nigeria. If you plant it here, it ain't going to work. You know what I'm saying? Because it's called for that place. So before you venture into any business, you need to know what God has called you. It's a calling. Calling is not only for ministry. Has God called you to be a physician? If God has called you to be a chef, but you're very good with physics and chemistry, and you think, oh, I really want to be a medical doctor. When you get there, you'll be frustrated and tired. You won't thrive in it. The calling is important. Calling would help you to be committed to something, even when it is not going well. And that's where a lot of people miss it. Because most times, anything that is good is not really going to look rosy and sweet from the beginning. It's going to involve a lot of work. And so you can't just base your, what you want to do based on your talent. Oh, I can cook very well. That you can cook very well doesn't mean you start a restaurant. <laughs> if you can cook very well, then cook for your family. You know what I mean? Do your research. And I think that's the next step. Education. Building your capacity. The Bible says David led the people with integrity of heart and skillfulness of hand." acquisition, skill acquisition is key. To do ministry and to preach to people, a multi-ethnic audience, it takes you learning some things and being able to speak to people that can cut across 30 different nationalities at one time. So skill acquisition is what changes a mediocre to be an expert. It's key. So acquire skills, acquire cooking, acquire all the things that you need to do. Then look for a good mentor that you're going to say, please, can you teach me? What do I need to succeed? What makes people fail? When I read, in mini- I do a lot of reading in ministry, and some of the things I read is why ministries fail. I don't only read, okay, what made this church grow. I w- you have to find out what made this person not to succeed. And don't do it. <laughs> because you could do all the right things. If you try to do the one thing that you shouldn't do, it could crush all the good things that you started. So, yes, I want to start a business, do your research, get a mentor. And if the mentor tells you, maybe don't go this way, maybe listen to that mentor, maybe listen. Some people just feel like, oh, this is my idea. I'm going to go lease a place that is $10,000. If you go lease a place that is $10,000 and just anticipating that you're going to have 200 customers from the moon, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> so listen to the mentor, find out what, what, how they grow their business to become great, serve them. If you can, and in the process, learn some skills and just trust God step by step. Nobody becomes a millionaire overnight. It's magic. It only happens in the dream. (laughs) Step by step.
0: Step by step. So overall, like we discussed different aspects of influence, whether relationship, leadership, mentorship. What is the driving home point that you want our audience to know about influence?
1: Okay. You don't need to be the head You don't need to be the head to be able to influence people. That's my, if there's anything I would say today. Many people, there are many, and I I say this respectfully, please I'm sorry if anybody feels offended. Many people want to be lead pastors and they are just meant to be assistant pastors. At best they should be deacons or a faithful Sunday school teacher. Or a strong usher. Or a strong usher. <laughs> so, your influence is not tied to your position. It's not your position that gives you influence. It's your influence that gives you position. And so, when we're talking about leadership, servant leadership, Jesus did not even come. Jesus didn't say, oh, you know, I'm the head of this ministry. He just came to serve the people. So, Your influence is tied to how you serve, how you love, how you care, how you work, how you change the lives of the people that come across your path. It's very key. If you can make every life that's in your sphere of influence better, you'll be one of the greatest leaders of all time. And I think that's just the main thing. For me, when I look at my life, I feel that God gave me the opportunity to touch lives, raise people, help people. And in that process, God brought me to where I needed to be. I didn't find myself because I really wanted to be here. In the process of serving other people's dream, I found my dream.
0: So our last question of the evening, and I'm curious: What is the biggest influence you hope to leave? Like once either Jesus comes back or we are are going to heaven, um, what is the thing that you? What is the legacy that you want to leave behind?
1: That you you may start small, or your your beginning may be small, but your latter end. will blow minds because Christ is in you. The Bible says Christ is not the hope of glory. Um, You don't need to stop yourself or look at yourself as insignificant. If you can have Christ inside of you, you can make history to the glory of God. And I think that's what I, every person I meet, I believe that they can change the world, no matter who you are you can change the world. If only you can have Christ inside of you and have all the right tools to make people's life better, one at a time.
0: Wow, that's so amazing. Christ in you, the the hope hope of of glory. That is awesome thank you for tuning in to this episode of real talk with pj if you have been blessed by this session we invite you to join us for the bethel experience we have three services on sunday at 8 30 a.m 10 a.m and 11:30 30 a.m our bible studies are held on wednesday at 7 p.m and prayer meeting on friday at 7 p.m we would love for you to visit with us during one of these experiences and join in on the move of god happening live at bethel covenant